Hello and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of young Christians who live in Montreal. We meet together to discuss the Bible, faith in Jesus Christ, and following God in the world today. The podcast today is a sermon on joy, which is listed among the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoy. So, um, we are talking today about joy, as I just mentioned. And joy is one of those things that I think is quite difficult to find today. It's easier to find anxiety. It's easier to find grief. Uh, It's easier to find sadness. It's harder to find and to experience joy these days. But I want to share with you some things that have been going on in my life uh, as an encouragement to you. Because I'm not above anybody else. I'm not... uh, above feeling anxious about what the future holds. I'm not above feeling frustrated with the way that life is going at the moment. I feel these things too. And the last few weeks, I guess it's a month or so now since this all began, I definitely had low moments of feeling very anxious, uh, very angry, uh, very frustrated. And in the midst of all that, the way I've been choosing to handle it is to pray. Uh, And I've really tried to develop my prayer life uh, in a big way. And what's come out of that is using different methods of prayer and reflection and meditation. I have found really profound experiences of joy in the midst of the season as well. I think for myself personally, in the long run, I'm going to have really appreciated this season of my life because of the amount of joy and peace that I've experienced. And I think what the way I'm, I've, I was trying to think of how to describe it today, there's been a, an undercurrent of joy and peace that I've experienced the last few weeks. Its differences have been, on the one hand, if I do stray far from the Word of God, if there's a few days go by that I'm really not paying attention to His Word, or praying very much, uh, that my, my joy diminishes, my peace diminishes, uh, and I get more anxious or more angry. But those times when I am really close with the Lord, uh, what I've experienced is there's this undercurrent of joy that when I feel the negative emotions bubbling up, I, I immediately turn to God and, and pray, and I feel the, the worst of those feelings, uh, I'm protected from them, uh, I'm, I'm pulled back from that edge. And so I felt that as an undercurrent, And then I felt these spikes, these moments along the way that I've really felt a great sense of joy or love uh, or gratitude for what God has been doing in my life. And these these spikes, these big moments haven't just come and then gone down again. They've lingered. There's been a lingering sense afterwards that has just stayed with me for a long time. And I can look back at those moments even now and think, oh my goodness, that that one time when I, when I experienced this, and it's always been over the meditation of God's Word uh, or through prayer, uh, something like that, uh, that have given me these great senses of joy as well. And so I'm encouraging, I want to tell you that as an encouragement to you, that if you're experiencing a lot of the absence of joy at the moment, what I'm about to say tonight is a genuine thing that I have felt the fruit, I have felt the results of this in my life, recently, as recently as a couple of days ago and even today, experiencing the joy of the Lord uh, has been with me as well. So we're, gonna, we're looking at the moment at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
And we've covered this already, but as a brief uh, recap, what we're talking about is as Christians, we are led by the Holy Spirit. We live by the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that <clears throat> our life is basically shaped and molded by uh, the, the Holy Spirit. We, um, we have, um, I, each week I'm trying to use a different analogy to, 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 to uh, explain this. Uh, this week I'm using the analogy of substance. This divine substance comes into our life. It's a thing. Uh, and it infuses and penetrates every part of our life. And so, you know, in the same way that, you know, uh, an ink would diffuse itself throughout a cup of water and, you know, this thing would just, you know, just diffuse everywhere. Uh, we find the Holy Spirit's influence diffuses, infuses, whatever you want to use, uh, comes into every area of our life. And as it does so, it develops new appetites uh, within us, new desires uh, for how we want to live our life. It gives us a new perspective on things, a new identity. Uh, we are given new values as well. And so part of the description the Bible gives to this new indwelling experience is that there are certain fruit that come out of it. Uh, and the word fruit can mean the result of. So the fruit of your labor is the result of your labor. And so what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 5 is that the result of the Holy Spirit or the result of living by the Spirit is these, not this ninefold uh, description that he gives of a Spirit-filled life. And the, the one we looked at last week was love. And the one we're looking at this week is joy. And he goes on, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, on and on. And so this week looking at joy, I'll, I'll be honest, I was surprised this week as I was researching this topic because it's not something I've ever really preached an entire sermon on. And I was really surprised by the large role that joy take places, is placed in our life. There's a huge role that joy has in the life of a believer. I was certainly surprised when I saw the depth of the commands and the encouragements given to us uh, as, I was studied, as I studied. For instance, if you look at uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 17, we see that joy is listed alongside peace and righteousness as basically the evidence of uh, the kingdom. Romans 14, 17. Is this uh, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the holy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is a matter, like it's about righteousness, joy, and peace. And so, in the same way that righteousness is an is evidence of the kingdom of God being made manifest in this world, joy and peace are also evidence of that. That was surprising to me that joy is evidence of the kingdom of God, which really means joy is evidence of God reigning over a life or over a community. God's reign is signified by joy. And we are commanded to have joy. Philippians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are commanded to have joy. Uh, it really does take a pretty prominent place in our life. And if it's surprising to you that joy is so prominent, as it was to me, uh, it really shouldn't be. 
and that's something else I learned this week uh, and was quite convicted by personally, is we shouldn't be surprised that joy has such a prominent role in our life and in the, in the way that we're supposed to live as Christians. Uh, one place we can go to that should have been a big clue to us is the first miracle that's recorded uh, in the book of John. John has a series of miracles that he calls signs. Uh, and they're called signs because they, they're miracles that really point to something very specific about the ministry of Jesus. And according to the book of John, the first sign miracle that Jesus Christ ever did was, as it's in John chapter 2, was that he uh, turned water into wine. Now think about that. The first miracle, sign miracle, that Jesus Christ did was turning water into wine. This was supposed to be some announcement of his ministry. Uh, this miracle was in some ways to set the stage about what to expect from Jesus. And the miracle he chooses to be the thing that announces his kingdom, that sets the stage of what is to come, is basically creating large amounts of very delicious tasting wine, uh, saving uh, a dying party uh, and elevating it up to new heights. That's his miracle. That's what he says, that's what he uses to announce his kingdom. That's amazing. It's, it's, a, it's an occasion of joy. It's a celebration. It's this wonderful announcement. And what it means is that he is the Lord of the feast. He is the one who's bringing joy into this world. He has come to be uh, the ultimate uh, host to, to us. And that means that He's come to bring to us joy, bring to us a wonderful celebratory life. That's something that's often at odds with the way that we experience the Christian life. If most of us are honest, we would admit that there's a part of us that thinks that Christianity is basically, you know, it's just a grind. You just got to like suck it up. You just got to, you know, just say no. Uh, just put your, put your head to the grind, put your nose to the grindstone. Just go, just go. Uh, I know it sucks, but it's the only way to avoid hell. So you just got to do it. That would be how, I mean, at least there's a part of a lot of us that think, well, yeah, that's kind of how Christianity feels most of the time. We're inclined to believe this, and sadly, that's the reason that a lot of people walk away from Christianity, because they feel that this is just a grind, that there's nothing, there's nothing joyful about this, there's nothing pleasurable about living this way. And I think that if we do feel that way about Christianity, then Jesus is insulted by that. Given who he is, and we could see evidence of this throughout his life, he was not boring and he was not joyless. He, to follow him was exciting. More than that, it was, it was joyful. It was a wonderful thing. And not the least because of, yes, his miracles, but more than that, his character, his teaching. His teaching was uplifting. It was freeing. It was wonderful. Jesus is... His, his character is, he is, he's insulted 
by the Pharisees as being someone who enjoys partying too much. He says they, they, they accuse him of being a drunk. They accuse him of, of partying too hard, essentially. I think if Jesus was to look into our heart and find, a, find that place that says, that's saying Christianity is a joyless thing, I think he would be insulted by that. He would say, don't you, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I have come to bring? And more than that, if, if that's the reason that we are walking away from Christianity, then we're not really, truly rejecting Christianity. We are rejecting something else. We're rejecting, I don't know what, but it's not true Christianity. If we're rejecting whatever it is that we're following because it's not, and we don't experience joy, then what we are rejecting is not a true spirit-filled walk with God because it, it is a joyful thing. It's a wonderful and joyful thing. There's an amazing uh, passage which describes heaven in Isaiah chapter 25, uh, verses 6 to 8, and it describes heaven as a feast. It's this wonderful uh, passage, Isaiah 25, 6 to, 6 to 8. It says this, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It's a beautiful picture of what is to come, but it's, it's uh, the language of, of sensation. It's a feast. It's a beautifully uh, rich experience. The way, when we get to heaven, what, what it's described as is essentially like a wedding day. It's, it's a marriage. It, it's this wonderful, and I'm a pastor. I've been to a lot of weddings because I'm a pastor, and there's nothing quite like a wedding. It's this great, beautiful experience. Uh, wonderful party and that's what heaven is supposed to be like but the amazing thing about the gospel is that it's so big and it's so great is that the future joy that we are going to experience is so expansive that it expands into our reality too and so yes everyone it, it may be of little consolation to say okay well one day we're going to experience the joy of heaven but what about now today what about the rest of life and that's, that's a valid, valid thing to say. When I would respond by saying, no, 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 when you enter into the life that God is calling you to, those things that are to come, you will find are, are in a measure already here with us. That there's a flow of that future joy into the present. And we have an, a tremendous amount of access to joy right now just in knowing Jesus. And so we're going to go into that. Uh, and to, to kind of start grounding this conversation, I want to ask you to kind of think for a moment. Uh, what is it that gives you joy? And, and your answer can be anything. Uh, what is it that gives you that sense where your heart starts to beat faster? Or your face lights up? Or you, you, you laugh uncontrollably? Or you have this rush of pleasure and, and, and you, know, you experience that? That warming 
you, you maybe jump around, you throw your hands in the air, you just want to hug everyone. What gives you those times of joy in your life? And there's a few things that I could point to that give me joy. And what's interesting is when you begin to go down this list, what you would probably find is that those things that give most of us a sense of joy, there's corollaries to spiritual realities too. That these things that give us joy in, a, in the physical sense, we also find, uh, we find their comparison, we find their twins in, in, in the gospel and in what God is offering us as well. There's a, a list that a writer named Christopher Wright comes up with, a list of four things. They're not comprehensive of all things that can give you joy, obviously, but it's illustrative of the principle. And this is, this is the four that he chose. He chose family, so your loved ones, being in good company, having a sense of belonging and sharing, uh, seeing people you love grow and succeed, that those things bring you joy. The second is feast. Not only in terms of a big meal, which is a great joy to have an, an amazing big meal, but also just celebration in general. Uh, also, uh, like emotional feasting of receiving good news, uh, succeeding at something, uh, getting given a gift. These types of uh, blessings. Basically, we, we get a, a big blessing in one way or another, uh, materially or relationally. These are joy, joyful moments. Uh, the third one is faith. Having faith brings joy, and that it comes through worship. Uh, we experience through worship the closeness of God, or through prayer, the closeness of God, or, or some enlightened moment of, of realization, and that brings joy. And the last thing uh, that gives us joy is future. When we anticipate good things to come, we get excited, and that excitement is a sense of joy, that optimism, that hopefulness comes out in the terms of joy. Now, these four, family, feast, faith, and future, have strong connections to what the gospel brings into our life and what the gospel is for us as well. And that forms a huge grounding of the joy that we have. So the first one, a joy is having a family. In Romans chapter 15, we find Paul speaking to the Gentiles, and he's telling the Gentiles to rejoice. And the reason that they are told to rejoice is that now they are part of God's family. They used to be aliens and strangers, now they've been brought in. They are part of God's family. And that's the amazing thing the gospel does, is that it brings us into belonging to Christ, belonging to a family at the same time. This is a wonderful story in the book of Acts. I believe it's Acts chapter 7, I'm fairly sure. <clears throat> but it's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And the story goes that there was this, this man from Ethiopia, which was a long way away from, from Israel, uh, that had come, and he had come to worship you know, the Jewish God, the Hebrew God. And, <clears throat> and he kind of crossed paths with one of the disciples, uh, and he ends up becoming a Christian. Uh, and what's amazing about that passage is you see someone, and it's not, oh, it's Acts chapter 8, excuse me. What's amazing about that passage is that this man was, would have been considered so far away for so many reasons, so cut off, so isolated. He was from a faraway land. He would have been strange because of that. 
he would have been uh, socially distanced, he would have been you know, difficult to communicate, he would have been from a different religion, certainly a different religious upbringing. <clears throat> also being a eunuch meant that he had been ca castrated, which means he could never have a family. He would always be just him. No earthly family would, would be able to surround him in any way. And also when you look at the, uh, the Old Testament law, a eunuch was not allowed to enter into the temple. So he wouldn't have even been allowed to come close to the presence of God within the, the, sort of the way the temple worked. And yet, despite all of these barriers, there is nothing that pre pre prevents him from coming into the kingdom of God. And when he asks, is there any, th is there any reason that I should not be baptized? Um, Philip says, um, no, come, let's do it right now. He is welcomed into the community of God. He is welcomed into the f God's family as he becomes uh, a Christian. And that's a wonderful thing. There are promises uh, prophesied to eunuchs given in the book of Isaiah as well, that they will be brought into the family of God and be blessed mightily as well. And that's what, that's what they experienced. And so we have a, a story of a person who, for so many reasons, would have felt so far away and so disconnected, yet brought in. And that's the amazing blessing we're given, is that we, no matter who we are, no matter what our background is, if we become a Christian, we become part of one of the largest family in the world, the oldest family in the world, and also the, a family that cannot be taken away from you. The people who are your spiritual brothers and sisters, you'll never lose them. You, we will be together forever. And that's a wonderful and amazing truth. We're given this community to belong to and to be part of, and this is an experience of joy. This gives us joy. The second uh, grounding of our joy is joy is having a feast. And when we say feast, yes, we do mean literally, but also just in terms of blessings, being given blessings. And we receive so much from God. I mean, spiritually as well as materially, we experience so much blessing from God. And there's a lot of times in the Bible that we are told to celebrate these good things. We are told to, as we receive these blessings, to, to celebrate them. In the Old Testament, there were many times when festivals and feasts were commanded. You know, you, go now, rejoice. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 is this amazing story of this impromptu feast that happens. And it's worth reading, Nehemiah chapter 8. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Also, tithing. Look up the first time tithing appears in the Bible. You'll be shocked. Tithing means giving, giving your money over to, to the church today. That's what it means. Tithing was a principle set up in the Old Testament. But when it was originally set up, it was set up so that everyone in the nation would come together once per year and when they would come together, they would come and they'd bring 10% of what they had been able to produce in that year. And bringing it together, the first thing they would do is have this massive party, this huge party that was to be a celebration of the goodness of God. It was to be a thankful party for all that God had done for them. And then whatever was left over, and you can imagine 10% of all that you produce in the year, no matter how big the party is, there's going to be a lot of leftovers. That would be given to the priest. The priest would use it throughout the year to continue to function and to use it to eat and, and to live and also be given to um, those who needed it, those who were impoverished in the community. But isn't it amazing to say that like, 
the first usage of a tithe was to have this huge feast. The recognition of the blessings that we've been given by God, the celebration of the blessings, taking time to be thankful and to be worshipful, it is so important to a Christian. Our gatherings together should be characterized as celebrations very often. It's not always appropriate, but kind of as a rule, we should be celebrating when we get together. We should be speaking about the blessings that God has given us. We should be constantly exhibiting a thankfulness as we gather together as a community. We don't, don't rob your joy of gratitude. Sorry, don't rob your life of gratitude. It's one of the most joy-producing things you can have in your life is a sense of gratitude. It's absolutely crucial to your joy. On a side note, in order to really do this well, something else that was commanded in the Old Testament and I think is a very good principle, uh, and Jesus brings it up too, is that our social gatherings, our celebrations, should be very socially inclusive as well. They shouldn't just include people who look like us and who think like us. We should be welcoming into our midst people who are different. Sadly, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, these, these occasions are, are very lonely times for many people. And we, we should do all we can to not let that be the case, to try and include as many people as we can, to share the joy that we have, to share the thankfulness that we have. The last, oh, sorry, the second to last one is joy is having a faith. As we, now this I think is key, the key that unlocks all the rest, unlocks the family, unlocks the feast, will unlock the, the future as we're about to discover as well. But joy is having a faith is, I think, this key. Because expressing our joy, faith is huge for this. So what this means is that worship, like the way we express our faith through things like worship or things like prayer, um, these things bring us joy. Worship brings us a sense of the closeness of God and reminds us of His character, which should produce joy within us. Prayer uh, is experiencing amazement at, at God and at fresh revelations of who God is. Uh, the best of prayer uh, leaves you just feeling wonderfully refreshed by the presence of God. And what the reason it can do this is because it stems from the gospel. The gospel is what? It's good news. Gospel isn't a formula of this is how you avoid hell, this is how you get to heaven. Gospel is the news, the announcement of what God has already accomplished on our behalf. And therefore, because it's an announcement, because it's, a, it's something that we receive as good news, it's, much, it's not appropriate just to know this. It's appropriate to, to respond to this, to, to feel something because of this. We shouldn't just know the gospel. We should love the gospel. We should love the assurance that it brings. We should love the promises that it contains. We should love the gospel. It's a, it's a hugely powerful truth, a truth that's able to, to bring all kinds of amazing uh, responses out of us. Uh, this uh, book, uh, backwards for you, um, <clears throat> it's by Gordon Fee. It's called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God. He says this, God has brought us uh, eschatological salvation. The future has already made its appearance in the present. God's people have already tasted the life as it is to be. Already they have received full pardon, 
full forgiveness. By the Spirit they cry out, Abba, Father, to the God who loved them and has given His Son for them. This is the cause for joy, unquenchable, uninhibited joy, as by the Spirit we, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, joy in the Lord. We must begin at the individual level, uh, but it must also therefore characterize the believing community among uh, among whom God is generously supply uh, among whom God still generously supplies the Holy Spirit. So he describes the amazing thing that we've been given. This faith is one that produces joy by its very nature because it's it's this explosive truth, and that's something that. You know, when we think about what the Bible has given us, or sorry, what the gospel has given us, it really should produce a ton of joy within us. Uh, and that's a kind of joy that cannot be taken away from us. I'll get there in just a moment. The last one is joy is having a future. And I wanted to point out something specific about this. When we think about the future as Christians, we have extra reasons to be joyful. Every religion will point to heaven and say, oh my goodness, how good, well, well, not every religion, but a lot of religions will point to heaven and say, oh my goodness, how good is heaven going to be? But we have, we have a specific view of heaven that gives us additional reasons to be joyful in it. Because the best things that you enjoy about life now will be experienced in heaven too. Our hope is not for a heaven that is somewhere far away. Our hope is for resurrection. Resurrection means that this life, this creation, you will not be something different. You'll be something new. You'll be remade. You'll be perfected. This world will be made new, perfected. If you get joy from being out in nature, that is something that will be in the new heaven and earth. Well, our hope is not that we go somewhere far away. We don't hope to go to heaven. Our hope is that heaven comes to earth, that this world is remade, that God will never say, oh, well, let's just destroy that. I'll make you something better. He comes and He remakes this world. That means that the, the, the world around us that we gain so much joy from in this life will still give us joy, but better and higher and greater than before. Relationships that we experience now, we will still be relational beings. We will know people. We will be known by people. We will have an identity in heaven. We're not going to be just caught up in the great oneness. We will have an identity. I will be an I for all eternity. And I, there will be a physicality to us. I don't know exactly how, but there, I don't lose a body. The things that bring me joy will continue to bring me joy in the new heaven and earth too. And that's exciting. That elevates the experience of joy that we have. For Christians, our joy comes from these spiritual realities. But even as we look at the physical realities around us, the things that are just purely of this world that give us joy, there's a hint of the gospel in them as well. The fact that my family gives me joy reminds me of the gospel. The fact that my, my enjoyment of nature or my enjoyment of food <laughs> gives me joy is a reminder of what the gospel promises. 
And so I have more reasons to, to be happy and joyful in life. Even when I'm just doing normal, regular things, they are sweetened by the gospel as well. And so you see, there's so much that gives us joy. And this is a joy that can sustain us even in suffering, because suffering can't take these things away from us ultimately. There's a Jonathan Edwards quote that I enjoy. He says this, For Christians, our bad things turn out for good, our good things can never be, be lost, and the best things are yet to come. Think about that. Our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost. And the best things are yet to come. That is an amazing promise. And that is a joyful promise too. That even when bad things come into our life, those bad things will be used by God for our good. That even when we lose things, we don't lose them ultimately. And that even if our life is not very good right now, we remember that the best is yet to come. When we experience suffering, there's three things that we do as Christians. We weep and we think. That's number one. We weep and we think, which means we experience pain. It's not, we don't advocate stoicism as Christians. It's okay to weep. We weep when it's appropriate to weep. But we, but we think, oh sorry, I got my, I got my, I got my up. We weep and we trust. Excuse me. The first thing we do is we weep and we trust, which means we do weep, but we do so trusting that even though there is pain now, there is a reason behind the pain. The second thing we do is we pray and we think. When we're experiencing difficulty, we pray honestly to God. We we pray what we're feeling. God, take it away. God, you know, help me. Get me out of this. But at the same time, we think. We think in those moments, God, what are you trying to do right now? What do you want me to learn? What is the reason here? We don't turn off our brain. We don't stop uh, fighting to find an answer. We think as we pray. And the last thing, we reorder our loves as we hope. The thing about suffering is that it can cause us to have new perspective. If we, if we suffer rightly. So when we lose something or when we experience great suffering, it causes us to look at our lives and to consider how we should live as a response. What are ways that we could respond wisely in these situations? But we also hope. See, reordering our loves doesn't mean that we should love things less. It just means that we should love God more. If something, if we're suffering because of losing something. It was not wrong to love that thing, but perhaps it was more appropriate to love God more. And if we did love God more, then maybe it would help us in our suffering as well. And loving God more brings in hope, because by loving God more, we know that that loss is not an ultimate loss, because we have more coming down the line as well. And so we hold on in hope. I'm sorry that I have to quickly go through those things. That, those three are worthy of a, of a sermon in themselves. Uh, but what we find in the Psalms is all, it's full of these kinds of responses. People going through great suffering, but the Psalm, though expresses the suffering, will express hope or express joy or trust in God. And that's an amazing thing. 
The gospel produces a kind of joy that can cope with pain, can bring us through pain. And sometimes it'll be a long road. And I know there are people who suffer with depression uh, and suffer with chronic real, real issues that can be very, very hard and difficult. And they can be trials. In the midst of it all, I know God is with you. I know God is going to continue to guide you through that as well. And I've seen people that have experienced depression and yet still have an undercurrent of hope and an undercurrent of joy throughout it all. Uh, that though maybe deep uh, and hard to see at times, is genuine as they continue to go out in faith. Now, I want to kind of conclude quickly because I've, I've spoken too long already. I'm sorry about that. It's interesting, though, that joy is listed among, among the, uh, the, the va- what are considered like virtues, things like love and, and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. These are virtues. Does joy fit well in that? Is joy a virtue? Is it an ethical characteristic? And I would say yes. There is an ethical side to joy. Joy is a duty given to us as Christians. First uh, Thessalonians 5, as I already said, verse 16, uh, rejoice always. We are, to, we are commanded to rejoice. It is a duty for Christians to feel joy. But it's a happy duty. It's something we should be, feel happy about as well. But the reason it can be considered such is because joy is not simply an emotion. Joy in the Lord flows from faith. It's an exercise of faith. It flows from a head and a will that focuses on the presence and the promises of God. And as we do that, we experience joy in these things. Therefore, we must fight for our joy. We must, we must work at our joy as well. It's available to us. And things like self-pity and self-loathing are the enemies of joy. When we see self-pity and and these types of things coming out in our life, we must preach to ourselves. We must attack those things as much as we are able to. When we're tempted to feel down on life or down on ourselves, we must rouse ourselves to the promises once again of the gospel, to to rouse ourselves to gratitude for all that we have. We must awaken ourselves. We We say to our soul, soul, why art thou downcast? You know, I will rejoice once again in the Lord. I will praise God, my Savior. We must do these things so that we are, so that we can once again experience our joy. We are called to taste and to see that the Lord is good. We are called not only to know the truth but to experience the truth. And these things bring us joy. This joy in the Lord makes Christian the other Christian ethics easier as well. We'll see in that same chapter, Galatians chapter five. The commandment that Paul is given, like, don't bite and devour each other. In other words, don't, don't attack each other. It's hard to attack each other when you're full of joy. It's hard to fight and be conceited when you're full of the joy of the Lord. I want to lastly just say this. Uh, John Piper uh, wrote this amazing uh, book. Um, I've forgotten what it's called now. Uh, Desiring God. Uh, And in it, he has this line that he says quite often. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. The same way that we spoke about love last week, joy, having joy in your life is a way of making God evident in this world. 
it's an important duty that we do that. Uh, George Mueller says something along the lines of this, my first and most important task is to make my soul happy in the Lord. It is an important thing that we have joy. Are you joyful enough to be of use to God? Does your life have enough joy in it for you to be of service to God? It's an important characteristic not to be underestimated. When you want God to use you and be glorified in your life, make sure that you're fighting for your joy because there is a wealth of joy that we should be experiencing. Your life should contain a note of contentment and joy to it. This is a blood-bought gift that we have all been given. And therefore, it is within a measure of our control to experience joy in this world. We are not uh, blown about by the wind. We have a blood-bought gift of joy that the gospel has brought us because of the death of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on our behalf. We have been given a huge wealth of joy to be able to tap into through the gospel. It is within our control to bring this out in our life, and we ought to be doing it for his sake and for his glory. And it is a happy duty to do so. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for bringing us together as a community today. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to experience more and more joy in this world. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to to not be content with a humdrum, uh, drab life as Christians. Help us instead, God, to be people who are uh, characterized by a festival joy, a celebratory life, to be those who are known for their their, um, you know, their joy, God. Help us, Lord. Whatever is blocking, may you remove it by your Holy Spirit's power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. If you'd like to find out more about CU20 or People's Church, then find us on our website, peoplesmontreal.org where you'll find links to our live stream, past sermons, our service times, and more information about our beliefs and values. If you're ever in Montreal, we would love to meet you. Thanks, and have a great day.